just want to do God's will. The kind of revolution that the world needs is a Christian revolution. If you want a miracle, you've got to expect it to happen. You are the recipients of God's grace and God's blessings, and you rejoice in that reality. Welcome to Life Today Live. I hope you're doing well today. Uh, and you know, uh, the situation in Maui is really, really awful. And, and Life Outreach, we are doing something. I don't know yet what we're doing, but we're looking for ways to help out there. Uh, and I know a lot of you have been have been watching that, and it's going to continue to unfold. And, you know, the thing is, when when a tragedy like that hits, so unexpected, and it is devastating and you know none of us ever want to to go through that uh and we pray for the victims families out in maui uh and and beyond that we're gonna actually you know we want to do something too Uh, i believe in prayer i believe in action so uh both of those but you know a couple years ago uh near miami um on june 24th 2021 the surfside condos about half of that building collapsed and uh it, it it killed 98 people uh and this is what it looked like when it went down and it's a little hard to tell from these photos but i mean let, that's like the part standing is like only half of the building is kind of in a u-shape there but it was uh you know unexpected tragic uh and uh, unfortunately took the lives of many and um one of the victim's relatives is with us today. His name is Mike Noriega. His his grandmother lost her life uh, in that collapse, and he has had to work through you know two years of grief and probably I'm guessing we'll, we'll ask him a little bit of anger. Uh, I would be, um, but he has a book out now that is called Uncollapsible Soul, and uh, just get my fingers on the right buttons. It's, it's available now. We'll, we'll tell you how you can get it. Actually, it's uncollapsiblesold.com. But he has really put together a, a roadmap for anyone uh, who is going through the various uh, emotions when, when something like this happens. And so I'm excited to have him. Uh, I, I'm glad you're here. Uh, you know, if, you're, if you found this interview because you've gone through something that you're trying to reconcile, come to terms with uh I, I really pray that this would would help you um if if you haven't faced this kind of tragedy it's good information to minister to those who have uh and really to prepare you for the unexpected and you can't ever fully prepare but certainly you can um you, you know you you can have some idea of what you would face in the situation uh, i hope none of you do but mike uh Appreciate you spending time um, talking to the audience today. Uh, it's a privilege to have you on the program. Well, thank you for having me, Randy. I really appreciate it. I, I would love for you to uh, honor your grandmother a little bit, just if you don't mind. Tell us a little bit about her and your relationship to her. So my grandmother was like my second mother, and I don't mean that just from a meta- metaphorical standpoint. Uh I was born in April of 1985, and about six months after that, uh, her only daughter, my dad's sister, was unfortunately killed unexpectedly at the age of 17 years old in a car accident. And 
I was born at a time of uh, a lot of pain and heartache and loss that my family was grieving through. And so all of that love and adoration and affection that she had towards her daughter, really as long as I can remember, she poured into me. And my grandmother, the only place she had to turn to was the love of God. My grandmother was the most loving person that I know. I'm talking from that childlike faith place where all she knew how to do was love because her heart was connected to the source of endless supply. Mm -hmm. And so she constantly loved everybody around her from this place of overflow, even though she had gone through her, through, uh, her own grief. And in my case, my grandmother used to say something to me all the time that I never understood until she was gone two years ago. My grandmother used to say all the time, you saved my life. Hmm. And she was referring to when I was born. And I would always think to myself, I, I was a baby, <laughs> you know, pooping my diaper like every other baby. <laughs> right? You know, how was I? But now that she's gone, I understand what she meant. Hmm. So obviously you, you guys were a close family. Now you mentioned her faith. Uh, were you brought up in a Christian home or, uh, you know, was what, what were your what was your home life like? Yeah, so my mom, really it's her faith that brought our entire family to church. And so uh, I grew up here in South Florida and ended up giving my heart to Jesus going into uh, my ninth grade year in mm -hmm. high school. And at that time, grew a great group of, of uh, men of faith, or really we weren't men yet, but yeah. we became for lifelong friends. We're all still friends to this day. And so uh, I trusted God very early on. And really, it was my, my mom's faith uh, that, that brought me to church so that uh, I could meet Jesus at a young age. Okay. So, so you had that, that foundation. Take us to, to that day uh, two years ago, a little over two years ago. What was, how did you first hear about something going on where your grandmother lived? So <clears throat> I got a phone call at about 1.30 in the morning. The, the building collapsed at 1.22 a.m. on June 24th of 2021. And just minutes after it happened, my mother called me. And it, that wasn't super weird that my mom was calling me at 1.30 in the morning because most of my family are first responders. And my mom at that time used to work 12-hour shifts, shifts overnight in the hospital. And so every once in a while, I, I can be a night owl. You know, she would call me really, really late. She knew I was awake. But when she called me, I realized she wasn't working that night. And she said, hey, Mike, listen, something happened to your grandmother's building. Your father just left. He's on his way to Surfside. And your brother, who's also a first responder, is on his way to pick me up. And then we're coming to pick you up and we're going to Surfside, which I'm like, wait a second, wait a second. What, what's right. happening right now? Right. She said, I don't know. Something about an explosion in the building. All I know is we need to get there. I'm like, it's 1.30 in the morning. What, what could be an explosion? What? I call the Surfside Police Department and start asking them questions. And, you know, I asked them what really happened. And they couldn't tell me. And I said, well, look, it's, you know, in the middle of the night. Should I be coming over there at this time? And they said, yes, you should absolutely get down here. Mm. And that scared me. Mm. Um, at that time, I had no idea what had happened because I was thinking, you know, somebody 
woke up in the middle of the night and they were microwaving some food, happened to put a metal container in the microwave and the microwave blew up or a, a small fire, some smoke and somebody misinterpreted as a explosion. Come to find out there was a woman by the name of Susanna Alvarez that was in the tower that did not collapse. She was, her parents were best friends with my grandparents. And so she was one of the survivors of the building. Hmm. And everybody describes the building collapsing that was in the, the tower that did not collapse as an earthquake with the sound of thunder happening at the same time. Hmm. And in her experience, she said that the trembling was so bad. It was so violent that she was shaken out of bed. And when she walked out of her front door of her apartment, when she went to go walk towards the elevator, that there was no elevator. She was looking out into the sky. Jeez. And when she looked down, she heard screaming coming from people that had fallen with the building and the collapse. And that's the phone call my father got. Uh, and and your, your father, uh, where was he, chief of police? Where was he, uh, policeman officer at the time? Well, he worked for about 30 years with Miami Beach Police and retired as the chief of police. And then uh, he's still currently and at that time was the chief of North Bay Village Police Department, which is a small suburb of Miami. Yeah. So so you were getting probably pretty good information as far as that goes. Uh, what if, I mean, what what do you do? What do you do in that situation? I mean, I, mean, you know, I don't even know the right question to ask, because, I mean, you did you you did you know that your grandmother was in in the room and you can you knew which part of the building she was in i mean how how long did it take you to confirm that she was one of the victims when i jumped in the car when my mother picked me up and we were all on the way she had my father on the phone hmm. and there was probably a 20 25 minute car ride where my father was already there at the scene and he said nothing, mm. not a word, not a word. All I heard was weeping. And my mother told me that before I jumped in the car with her and my brother, that all he could say was the building is gone. Mm. So we show up to, uh, so my grandmother's building uh, was on the street that separated Surfside from the city of Miami Beach. Mm. And so Miami Beach was just south of Surfside. When we arrived, there was already a, a small army of first responders that were there. And so we parked on the Miami Beach side. Now, it's important that you know that there was about one third. It was a partial collapse. So one third of the building, approximately 55 apartment units collapsed in the middle of the night. And so the side that did collapse was facing north while well, we parked south because that was the only available parking yeah so as we were walking up through all of the red and blue lights and mm -hmm. weaving through all these different first responders from our angle the building still looked fine oh yeah and there was no smoke yeah there was no fire there was no indication from that angle that there was anything wrong so when i pulled up i actually had some relief that What's my father talking about? Mm -hmm. The building is not gone. Why would he say that? And as I walk up, as our angle starts to change, where we can now see 
the north side of the building, which is exactly where my grandmother's building was, it was gone. It was rubble. Mm. It, I could see her balcony. We now know it was a 12-story tall building, and we now know that the first six stories were actually in the parking garage. So when you look at pictures or video of the rubble, that's actually only the top half of the building that you can visually see. My grandmother lived on the sixth floor, so she was right in the middle of that. And I was staring at her broken, mangled balcony because I saw her furniture just thrown all around it. There are situations in life that no man can save you. Yeah. And I really believe that God does not allow us to waste moments like that because you have no place to hide that all you can do is call on God's name to save you. In that moment, when my eyes saw what my new reality was, my mind could not perceive it and accept it. Mm -hmm. I literally just fell to my knees and just being overcome by the situation. And I just started to like cry out to God, honestly. I just, I didn't know what to do. And My mind started playing games with me. I, you know, it was, you know, when you have a dream that's so vivid that you wake up, that, you know, you have these intense feelings mm -hmm. from the dream, but you realize, oh, wow, it was just a dream. I'm okay. I was trying to convince myself, no, this is a dream. This can't be reality. Or this looks like the building was a planned demolition. Right. There's no way. You know what? It was probably a planned demolition. My grandmother was probably evacuated from the building and she just forgot to tell us. I started rationalizing all of this, but after about, I don't know, a half hour, an hour, two hours, I started to accept that this was not a dream I was going to wake up from. Yeah. Um, my father, you know, I, I, I had really never seen my father shed many tears in my life, maybe once or twice, but publicly, uh, to see him weeping like that, yeah. uh, that's, that's something that shook me to my core mm -hmm. and um i will never ever forget that my father for probably hours probably at least three hours was calling my grandmother's iphone mm. over and over and over as we were probably 20 feet away from her balcony yeah. and it's not that he was expecting her to pick up it's that if her phone survived and we could just hear a vibration just hear a ring that there was a chance yeah that she could survive yeah. we were seeking hope and where everything started to uh, shift from shock to hope for me was after being at the scene for a couple hours i i just it felt like i was in hell I felt like i was in hell on earth and i went uh, to the building right next door to the entranceway and I just kind of made this little nook area where I put in my iPod and I started listening to uh, three specific songs that my my church's worship band had had done uh, Vu Worship. But one song in, protect, in particular I kept listening to over and over and over. It, it was called Shelter In. And the song is really uh, just the promises of, of Psalm 91, that God is our refuge and our strength that a thousand may, call, may fall to my left, 10,000 more to my right. But God is the thing that shelters us in. 
from the terrors of the night. Mm -hmm. And so I'm listening to the song over and over and over. And I'm thinking to myself, this song is called Shelter In. And as I looked to my left, as I'm sitting there at the entranceway, I saw that the very thing that my grandmother trusted to shelter her in her right, home right. was the very thing that probably killed her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was such a picture of when we put our hope in the world that it's a weak foundation that it's not going to last. And that song just reminded me that my grandmother was sheltered in, in her heart. She was sheltered in, in the love of God. So it was almost like I felt the Holy spirit whispering to me that if your grandmother is alive underneath that rubble, I can do the miracle and rescue her where her story will give me the glory and her story will be told for the ages. But if her body is underneath that rubble, but her soul is not, it's because her soul is in my presence in heaven. Do you trust me with either outcome? Because my presence is with her in either outcome. Wow. And that was just the revelation that God gave me that really started to change everything. Oh, man, there's so much there. I mean, you know, uh, how your when your perspective changes, everything changes, right? Uh, and, and you really, no matter how strong you think your uh, circumstances are, it's all going to collapse at some point the only the only safe place is in christ i mean there, there's a depth I, I i am curious um and, and i appreciate the 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 comfort that god gave you on the scene i'm wondering if you went through after that you know part of the you know if i'm i don't know if you got any grief counseling but when you go through the process of grief there are a lot of very natural and normal and a lot of ways, healthy stages. Um, did you go through, uh, you know, anger, any questioning, or how, how did that look for you? Yes to all of the above. Hmm. I was an absolute mess. Um, just because you, you have a revelation, just because you have a perspective shift, it doesn't skip you out on the healing. It's like if you get a physical wound and, you know, you think you're going to bleed out and die from this physical wound. Well, the truth is, is if you stop the bleeding, well, if you have the revelation like, okay, I stopped the bleeding, I'm not going to die. Yeah, but it, it can still get infected. You might need stitches. There's still work you have to do. <laughs> right, 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 right. And so I was an absolute mess. And there's so many layers to talk about here. The, the short answer is that um, – I, there was a point that I was seeing uh, a Christian grief counselor and a psychologist at the same time, because I knew I had so much to work through. Yeah. And that is really part of the reason, a big part of the reason that I wrote the book, because I went through my own journey of healing and I wanted to write about what did I do that really helped me. But what I didn't realize at the time that was very subconscious was that uh, anger was my driving force. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is, and I, I write about this, but, you know, my grandmother was 92 years old. I knew that she didn't have, you know, 50 years left on this earth. Right. So I, I just always imagined just because of how close we were that she was going to pass away as an old lady in her bed at home. And I was going to be right by her side. And I would have that final closure of goodbye. Yeah. Well, my last two opportunities to see my grandmother 
because of outside circumstances, I was never able to have those last moments with her. And the last time that my, fa- my whole family was together was a few days prior on Father's Day, mm-hmm. and I was out of town. And I had gone on that. I had planned that trip without realizing that that trip would fall on Father's Day. Once I found out that fact, I wanted to change the trip. But the others that I I was with did not want to. And I just didn't have that peace in my heart. I should be on this trip. And so I hated myself for going on that trip, knowing that it would fall on Father's Day, that I should have been there with my family. Guilt. Yeah. And, you know, and that kind of that kind of guilt, which is really I mean. Come on, you you never thought that the building would collapse. Nobody did, or they wouldn't have been there. Um, of course, that's not. I mean, it, it, it's it can be our own mind. I think it also could be the the lies the enemy uses to distract, to deceive, and to destroy us. Uh, but I, I get it. We need to work through these things, like you say. There is work to be done on the path to healing, and I. I know we're not going to get to all of it. I'll show people the book again. This is the book, Uncollapsible Soul, because we are going to fly by real quick. Um, you know, the the restoration process that Mike is sharing in this book and really not really do it justice. So if you're needing to walk through this, you, you should just get the book. Uh, and if you need to sit down and talk with someone, know that Christian counselor, psychologist, psychiatrist, all those resources are great. I would I would definitely sit down with, with a Christian because – as, as Mike would probably tell you, when we face tragedy like that, when we lose someone as believers, we don't mourn as the world does, as if there is no hope. We still grieve, though, but there is a difference. But I want to ask you something, and forgive me, Mike. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit the, the high points real quick on the process just so people can get a taste of this. But he talks about recognizing your heartbreak, responding to your grief, relinquishing your anguish, which is some of the anger and the guilt that he's talking about, renaming your pain and redeeming your sorrow. And I guess in the short time we have left, I really would like you to maybe walk through the the hope, the redemption in a story like this where there seems to be none. Um, and, and, and maybe how that, the, the pain that is very real and I'm sure still jumps up at times, uh, and, and get you, you know, um, how do, how do you, how does good ever come out of that? Healing is a progressive process and you can't go to requisite number five if you haven't done requisite number four. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to touch on each one really quick go ahead. Yeah. so that, so that every person listening understands the depth of this. So the five requisites of, of restoration, you know, Jesus spoke in parables because our brains, our minds are not designed to think in words that we think in pictures, kind of like a movie. And so um, think of a physical wound. If you're in the kitchen slicing a tomato and you slice right through your hand and you have a big gash, you would have to go through the same exact process that I'm going to talk about. And step number one is you have to reveal it. You have to recognize your heartbreak, which means you have to acknowledge the pain. If you don't acknowledge the pain, well, you're not going to stop the bleeding. Right. If you don't stop the bleeding, you're going to bleed on people that never cut you. Mm-hmm. You might get infected. And so that's step number one is you have to recognize that you have an emotional wound. I think the biggest problem, and I think this is very true in the church, is that uh, p- 
people mistake that we don't mourn as the world as we don't mourn. Right. That is not true. Right. Right. Even Jesus mourned before he raised Lazarus from the dead, knowing that he was about to be raised from the dead because we worship the God of empathy, not the God of sympathy. So that's step number one is you have to reveal it. Step number two is you have to relieve your pain, which is responding to your grief. You have to address it, right? So maybe that is stopping the bleeding. Maybe that is putting peroxide on it. Maybe that's uh, washing it with soap and water, but you have to address it. But then you have to surrender your pain, which is releasing it or relinquishing your anguish. So what does that look like? Well, going to a hospital, surrendering to the care of a medical professional, Mm. having them stitch you up, having them do surgery to repair tendons, whatever work needs to be done. And it's the same exact thing is that you have to surrender your pain to God. We confess uh, to God for forgiveness, but we confess to others for healing. See, we need other people. Even Jesus walked in community. So who are we to think that we can do life in isolation yes so true and then step number four is you have to reframe it you have to rename your pain what does that mean that means that once you have gone through the healing process that once you once called a wound you no longer call a wound you call it a scar scar tissue never looks the same but it tells a story of triumph it can no longer bleed it can no longer get infected and that skin is tougher (laughs) than it was before (laughs) and then step number five renew it you have to redeem your sorrow you have to draw purpose from your pain what does that mean if you redeem a coupon at a store you're essentially trading that coupon for value for a for a discount or for for money well when we trade our sorrow god's upgrades us to joy why because a lot of people do not realize that passion is a byproduct of suffering how do you know if you're passionate about something because you're willing to suffer for it why do we call why do we call it the passion of the christ because we were his passion he was willing to suffer for us it's just the problem is is that passion is neutral because if you do not become passionate about healing by default you will go down this pathway of passion and if you go this way you will uh, you will become passionate about bitterness why because what does not heal becomes infected and that's really what happens to a lot of people is the world feeds them a lie that all things get healed with time not true all things get buried with time and if you bury it long enough the the fruit of that will be bitterness but if you go down this road of passion and you become passionate about your healing and restoration Oh, wow. Let, yeah. <laughs> what God does with that is he turns that into something beautiful. He b- draws purpose from our pain. And when you draw purpose from your pain, it's no longer about your healing. It's about you helping others to find purpose in their healing, to find purpose in their pain. Yeah. And that's why I wrote the book. A, a candle loses nothing by lighting another candle. And I really believe that's what we're called to do as Christians, to be light into the night for others. So good. I appreciate you walking through that. I mean, you did a great job walking through that quickly because I know there's so much depth there. Um, and, you know, a lot of people, I think, they do like a kid does. They, they keep picking at a wound, never let it heal, or they don't get the help that they need for it to heal properly because you're right. Scar tissue is, is a good thing. 
and it is a visible thing in most cases and it's okay it, it that's a part of the healing and and i think that's where a lot of people get stuck and they never they never heal uh and so i appreciate you sharing that walking through you've clearly worked through this and I'm, and i know it's an ongoing process so I, I don't want people to think that you know once you get past it you're past it you're, you're all you know stuff happens you hit anniversaries you see a photo you have a memory the pain comes back but if it's not a fresh wound but a scar it, it's okay and there is some truth that 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 time can change things but if and if it's a healed thing you'll those memories that are tough now will come back later as as precious memories uh and i don't know if you're probably there yet i've i've lost my sister 10 and a half years ago and she was quite young and so i speak from a little bit of experience i i do have one uh question for you um if i may presume given the faith that your grandmother had uh the love that she showed have you ever thought how would she want me to respond to this injustice this tragedy has that crossed your mind it hasn't just crossed my mind uh the answer to that question has changed the mission of my life Hmm. One of my favorite quotes of all time is from Mark Batterson, and he says that an inheritance is what you leave behind for someone, but a legacy is what you leave behind in someone. Mm. I'll never forget, I had a a news reporter that uh, when all this was happening, I mean, this was a few days after the collapse, he pulled me aside and said, you know, if your grandmother had passed away, a little old lady in her bed. God would not be using this story where she is touching lives the way that she is, even in her death. Um, I'll share this very quickly. The, the, the 15 million pounds of concrete and metal and rubble crashing down caused many of the contents from within the building to blow out. And so there was personal contents on the street, um, ties, clothing, letters. And we found two pictures of my grandparents on the street. And, um, you know, that was, that was very profound, uh, in that moment. And, uh, we also, the first thing we actually found was my father stepped on a, on something and picked it up and it was a birthday card that had been given, uh, to my grandmother by her prayer group just two weeks prior. Wow. On the news at that time, I had been talking a lot about how my grandmother, Kima, she lived for her faith, her family, and her friends in that order. Six days later, after the collapse happened, homicide detectives called us to the family reunification center, and we knew we were going there for the news of the confirmation of her death. And once they delivered that news to us, uh, my whole family was weeping. I was not weeping because I was so angry at myself. I didn't feel I deserved the right to mourn yet. Mm. That's how messed up I was. <laughs> mm. And I write, sure. I write all about that. But the point of that story is that after we calmed down a little bit, one of the detectives addressed my father and said to him, we want you to know 
that we found this on your mother's body when we recovered her and handed him a brown paper bag. We were like, what could this be? Well, my brother put on some gloves, opened it up, and it revealed six rosaries inside. Now, the significance of that is, you know, rosaries are not personally meaningful to me, but my grandmother would use them to pray. Mm -hmm. And so what that tells me, well, that told me was two things. Number one, that my grandmother fell asleep in prayer that night and woke up in the arms of our heavenly father Mm. in heaven. But the second thing was that I had been talking about how my grandmother lived for her faith, family, and friends in that order. And God was so good that the birthday uh, card we found symbolized her friendships. The two pictures we found symbolized family Mm. and the rosaries symbolized her faith. And it was almost like the Holy Spirit was sealing that moment Mm. that your, your grandmother is faith in my arms. And when I mentioned this to my family on the spot, I'd been praying for my father for a long time, for many years leading up to that moment. And in a time that I thought this was going to drive my father far from God, um, my father just started to lower his head and addressed our family and said, guys, I I don't know how we're going to get through this. I don't understand why this happened or how this happened. All I know is we can't get through this without God's help. And he started praying. Wow. Heavenly Father, I come to you right now. Right in this moment, we can't move forward without you. But God, I accept you in my into my heart. Jesus, I believe in you. I accept you into my heart and Holy Spirit. I ask you into my heart and ask that you deliver us from this and that you use us. My father prayed the prayer of salvation wow. in that moment. My grandmother's death, in my opinion, saved my father's life. And that was the beginning of God bringing purpose to the pain. Wow. Uh, I say God works in mysterious ways and, and on the surface you wouldn't, you wouldn't get it, but the perspective that Mike is bringing changes everything. Uh, and man, I, you know, it's only an eternal perspective that, that you can make a little bit of sense out of a tragedy like this. Uh, and I think that that family reunion in heaven one day you'll go, okay, all the questions, the anger, the guilt, uh, all that. I, I, it was worth it because it brought us together eternally. So, man, thank you. Thank you for sharing your story. Um, continue sharing your story. There's a lot of people that are going to be healed. If, if you'll stay close to God and, and just share what he's done in your life. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Randy. Appreciate all you guys watching. If you know someone that's going through uh, a tough time, maybe their wound never healed. Or if you're going through it, know that there is hope, there is redemption. And uh, if if Mike can help walk you through that, uh, he's got a great resource right there, Uncollapsible Soul, uncollapsiblesoul.com. Someday, uh, it'll, it'll take time. Healing takes time. But someday, you can tell your story of pain and redemption and healing so that others can find healing. Appreciate you guys being here. Hit like, share, follow, if you don't mind, and uh, let somebody else know there is hope. We'll see you again next time here on Life Today.